Let's talk about what we believe in. And we do this every week. So this week, let's read the slides with me. Ready? Here it is. Hope beyond our brokenness. So the moment that you stepped into this perfect church, you ruined it. Right? The moment I stepped foot into this perfect church, I ruined it. And that's because we all have a story of being lost. That is not our full story. That's the start of our story with God. And so we understand that, but there's hope beyond that brokenness. That in Jesus Christ, we get to be found. And so to be able to, humility is the definition, the definition of humility is the, the ability to, to talk about your, your great brokenness and your great beauty with ease. Does that make sense? So that's who we want to become as people. We kind of be humble people to understand that, that yes, there's a broken part of our story and yes, there's hope beyond that. We're not stuck there in shame or in guilt. That's not who you are. Amen? Let's read this together. Next slide. <laughs> Wait, what happened to the other ones? <laughs> Not that one. The second one. There it is. Trust in our risen Savior. I, you know, sometimes I mess with John just by switching up the order of the signs. So I love you, John, and forgive me. Okay, so we're called to trust, right? And trust is a relationship word. Trust is the kind of relationship that you have with God. Do you pour out all of your heart to Him? Do you put your weight on Him? Do you, like W-E-I-G-H-T, meaning do you rely on Him for Him to tell you about who you are rather than your accomplishments? Do you wait for Him, W-A-I-T? Or are, in fear, are you rushing to try and fix everything on your own as though God does not exist? Right? So to learn how to trust in our risen Savior is a journey and a process. And one of the things that you learn how to do when you trust him is that you learn that he's far smarter, far more capable, and far better than you could ever imagine. Amen? Third. Next slide. We bring restoration. So Rebecca got to Gay, got to bring restoration this week to her neighbor. And you get to bring restoration to your family and to your friends and to the people in your community and to the people that don't go to this church. Because that's it. We want life to so well up within us that it spills out of us into every area of our life. As Paul says to, to you and I, that you and I are the aroma of Christ. Amen? So we've been in the Gospel of John, and we will continue to be in the Gospel of John. And where we are in the Gospel of John is the first 12 chapters cover two years and 50-some-odd weeks, or two years and 48-some-odd weeks of Jesus' life. And then in chapter 3, or chapter 13, now um, chapters 13 on to the end through 21, we're going to be in basically one week. And, and now in chapter 14, where we are today, Jesus is in that night of nights, right? That last supper before his crucifixion. There'll be more suppers with Jesus afterwards, right? He makes fish tacos for his friends on the beach. You remember this. I told you about this last sauce with the cabbage and the white sauce. Really good, right? <clears throat> 
and so, well, so it's just the Last Supper, right? Yeah, it's not deep fried; it's grilled. It's really good. Um, some cilantro as well. Uh, and so, this night, right? Last week is is when Jesus um, washes the disciples' feet, and now that con- we're going to pick up right where we left off last week and continue that incredible conversation. But before we do that, can we pray? Because we desperately need God's help this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray your spirit, your protection, your blessings upon this time. We give you permission, Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts, to, to remove from us the old man, to silence and bind up the enemy that might be seeking to distract or to move us away from you. So Jesus, we take authority over this time and space now in Jesus' name. We pray that your kingdom come and your will be done would we be here right now during this time? And all God's beloved, precious children said. Amen. The highest grossing movie franchises, these would be two or three movies all in a row, of all time are in the following order. Now, one caveat, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's 23-some-odd movies has grossed $22.5 billion in the past 10 years. I'm not counting that. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll count a section of that, but here they go. Ready? Here it is. First is Harry Potter. Harry Potter, um, seven movies. They grossed $9.7 billion worldwide over the course of those seven movies. Not bad for J.K. Rowling. Right? She's doing fine. Uh, next, yeah. Star Wars. Right? Uh, over the course of nine movies, starting in 1977, when my parents went to see A New Hope for the very first time, and they stopped the movie theater on opening night, turned on the lights, and said, Mr. and Mrs. Rock, please come to the foyer, where my babysitter was on the phone saying, this kid won't be quiet, he's crying. I made my parents miss Star Wars on opening night. They paid me back for that one. Star Wars has made $9.3 billion since 1977 worldwide, and that will only increase this year. Second, or third, we have the four movie series from Marvel Cinematic Universe called The Avengers. And The Avengers, which concluded its uh, series this last summer, uh, has made $7.7 billion worldwide. Last but not least, one of my favorites is The Lord of the Rings. And The Lord of the Rings has made $5.8 billion worldwide. And each of these movie, each of these movies has the exact same plot. And because each of these movies is about heroes. And heroes have the same story every time. It goes like this. First, they're wonderful, talented, capable people, and a bit lost. Right? Lord of the Rings. Here's the hobbits, Samwise and Frodo, and um, they want a garden and laugh and play, right? And they're ignoring the world around them. They have the most powerful tool to change the world in their hands, and it's in an envelope sitting on the mantle, and they're more interested in fireworks. 
I somewhat, sometimes wonder if we are trying to create the Central Coast into the Shire, <laughs> where we never have to leave, and we just, right, compare the size of our pumpkins to one another. <laughs> that is not a metaphor. That is... Okay, moving on. In Star Wars, in Star Wars, we have Luke. And Luke knows he's meant for greatness as a pilot, but he's stuck working the family farm, and he's also stuck in self-pity, right? But I wanted to go to the Dagobah system or whatever he says, right? Um, so there's Luke. He's stuck in self-pity. How about in the Avengers? In the Avengers, we have a guy named Tony Stark or Iron Man, and he can change the world with technology, but he doesn't want to do that. All he cares about is himself. He is the penultimate narcissist. And then, of course, we have Harry Potter. And in young Harry Potter, he has no idea who he is, his capabilities, his family. All he knows is that he's orphaned at his aunt and uncle's house, living under the stairs, completely oblivious and miserable. So in every single one of these stories, the hero stories first starts out with this. They're a little bit lost. Second part of the story. Every single one of these heroes will encounter evil and evil's attempts to wreck their family, their friends, and their world, right? So Luke encounters his father, <laughs> right? And Tony Stark encounter, encounters Thanos, right? And the hobbits in all the Fellowship of the Ring, they all encounter Sauron, right? And then, of course, Harry Potter encounters he who shall not be named. That's Voldemort. And every single one of these um, heroes discover that they're not enough to uh, encounter the evil, so they have to start training, and what they do is they start training is that they start sacrificing um, momentary pleasures to train in order to get better. Does that make sense? So they, and it's, there's always cool music, right? And that's the montage, right? The soundtrack. It's Luke running through the forest and balancing Yoda on his feet while he does a handstand. And it's, it's the, you know, them learning how to do their swords and Tony Stark building things. And that's what they do. They're, they're, they're training. They're sacrificing momentary pleasure. They're sacrificing time and energy to build a skill to get better at something that, so that they can combat evil. And, and, and finally, what they realize is that as they encounter evil, what they realize is that evil is way bigger and way more stronger than they could ever understand. And so each one of them will have to make the most sacrifice of all. And they will have to lay down their life in order to defeat evil. So here's Sam and Frodo. They're outside of Mount Doom. They had just thrown the ring into the the, to the fire, the ring's been destroyed, and now lava is erupting around them, and they, they've prepared to die, right? Or we have Luke, and Luke risks everything in order to destroy the Death Star, not once but twice, right? And finally, in this last movie, Luke Skywalker stands before Kylo Ren, and, and he lets himself be killed to save the people fighting for freedom. Sorry if I'm ruining all the plot lines, but... <laughs> If you haven't seen this movie, y'all, you're behind. Here we go. Ready? And then, of course, we have, we have a, a Tony Stark, right? Is that next? No, Harry's next. 
Harry Potter's next, and Harry is going to fight Voldemort, but then Harry's going to realize that he has to let Voldemort kill him in order to save all of his friends. And there's Harry, and no, that's not Harry, that's Luke still. And then finally, um, next picture, last picture would be Tony Stark, and Tony Stark is Iron Man. He realizes that the only way that he can defeat Thanos is to, is to take the uh, all of the, the infinity stones and use them to defeat Stanos, but it will cost him his own life. So let's just review this story, right? Here it is. Ex heroes are going to do, all do the same thing. Number one, they're going to experience the wilderness of being lost or isolated or stuck in their own foolishness. Number two, next slide. There, a great evil is going to threaten to destroy everything. Three, read this with me. The hero discovers that sacrifices enable you to confront the evil. And fourth, read this with me. The greatest heroes sacrifice their own life to save their world. Now, there's a reason why the hero story has been around forever, and it has been around since ancient Greece all the way to the modern day. Um, why, why does this story gross the most money worldwide? Why does this story resonate with us the most? Because it's not obvious that it should. Uh, wouldn't or shouldn't the most powerful hero stories be something like the work hard and everything turns out okay story? The wonderful girl excels at everything she does through hard work. She has an amazing career. She finally, she finds an incredible family. She finds a spouse and a partner that changes diapers and truly listens, right? It's that miracle man, right, um, who doesn't exist. But then, uh, then this powerful woman changes the world through her intelligence and her wealth and her power and her beauty and her charm and her character. Shouldn't that be the story? Shouldn't be that, that be the hero story? Or maybe shouldn't the hero story, maybe, maybe the hero story should accurately reflect sort of what we've seen in history, that the hero is the person who, who accumulates the most wealth and the most power and the most weapons and then uses those to crush anybody in their way in order to get what they want. Because isn't, isn't that, haven't, that, haven't we seen that throughout history? Shouldn't that be the hero story? But why do these two alternative hero stories don't resonate? Why do they, why don't they, they don't resonate with us? Why not? Well, with the work hard and everything works out all right story, we know that life doesn't work that way. I mean, how many of us have worked hard and it not turned out just the way that we hoped? Everybody, y'all be raising your hand like, come on, like get them up there, right? I mean... Right? Who's on plan A still for their life? <laughs> right? I ran out of letters a long time ago, right? I'm way down into the different bullet point fonts, you know, on your, into the stars and diamonds. I blew through the Roman numerals. <clears throat> I'm out, right? And so, uh, but we also know that, so, so life doesn't work according to the rules that we hope it would work by, but also we know that we know the difference between a hero and a tyrant, right? Like we do not believe that it is okay just because if you accumulated a lot of stuff to use that stuff to crush other people to get what, we, what you want. Like we know that that doesn't work either. So there's something about this hero story that really resonates with us. 
And, and, and my, my hypothesis is that this hero story, there's something about this hero story that's baked into how the world actually works. In Genesis chapter 4, the first two people ever born on planet Earth are not Adam and Eve. They're created. It's Cain and Abel. They're born. They're the first people born on Earth. And what's their story? Both of them believe in God. Both pray. Both want to be heroes. They both want to be loved and respected and honored. They're both delighted with the idea of having a humility um, to walk through life, right? Um, they both want to experience victory. And what's the difference between the two? Well, the difference is in what they sacrifice to God. Abel's sacrifice to God has blood in it. It costs Abel a lot. Cain's sacrifice doesn't have any blood in it. It's convenient. It's easy. Abel is loved and honored and respected, and Abel has victory after victory in his life, and Cain doesn't, and Cain is mad. So Cain prays to God, and he asks God, look, what's wrong with my sacrifice? I'm a farmer. You don't like my carrots? What's going on here? And God says to Cain, in roughly, son, the issue here is your heart. Right now, you're more interested in creating a life with sin where you only have to sacrifice what is convenient in the hopes of getting everything that you want. But the problem is, is that the life that you're creating with sin, it's going to devour you. And that's brutal hard news. Have you ever had that happen before? Like, your life is kind of unraveling. The wheels are falling off of the car and finally it comes to the stop and you're just like, oh my gosh, what is going on, right? Life has just backed up this dump truck and like all this stuff is on your plate that you didn't want, right? You picking up what I'm putting down? And then you pray, God, what's going on? And what do you hear? The problem is you, That's rough. That's really rough. And most of us don't hand, most of us do not handle this kind of hit well. We don't want to admit that we're not the hero we thought we were. And you know the rest of the story about Cain and Abel. Instead of admitting this hard truth about himself, Cain, instead of Cain taking the step of faith to saying, okay, God, there's something about me that needs to change. Cain goes the opposite route. He chooses to destroy the hero which he believes he can never become. Does that make sense? Cain kills his brother. I want you to connect the dots between Cain and Abel's story and all these movies that we just talked about. Cain has rejected the core of the hero's story of how life actually works. That the hero's story is one in which you are trying to bless your family and friends and world, and the way that you do that is through continual sacrifice. And Cain has said, I want the world to bless me, and I don't want to sacrifice much in order to do that. 
How does it work out for Cain when he does not follow this hero story? Not good, right? When God says, Cain, you're an outcast now. And he says, Cain, weeping, says, this punishment is too much. For, this, it's too, I can't handle it. It's too much for me to bear. So why are we talking about the hero story today? Because I think the hero story is important for two reasons. Number one, I think it's our story. I think it's a story that we all want. We all want to be loved. We all want to be respected. We all want to be honored. We all want to find humility. We all want to have victory. We all want to make a difference and bless other people in our lives. Amen? All of us want that. And there is a way that that happens. And that's what today is about. Because as much as we want that to happen, we're also very confused as to how to go about doing that. And that's what today is all about. You see, the hero's story is, is first God's story. That Jesus leaves heaven and gets lost in the most fragile time of human history. And he's without his Iron Man suit, right? Stripped of his power. He's been humbled. And then he confronts this evil and it costs him. And then in order to save his family and his friends and all the people that he would adopt into his family, all y'all, right? Through all time in history, Jesus does what? He sacrifices himself to defeat this evil and to save us. So here we are at the Last Supper and Jesus this is this Last Supper before the crucifixion. Judas has just left. Peter has made a fool of himself. Remember the foot washing thing, right? Jesus has washed all the disciples' feet. Peter says, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus is like, well, like, if you don't let me in to these crusty bits in your life, like, you got no part with me. Like, this is how it works. Peter's like, all right, then give me a shower. <laughs> Jesus is like, it's really not about that, Peter. You're not... This is a metaphor, son. Just, oh my gosh. Right? And so, so then they finally, Jesus washes Peter's feet and then Judas takes off and then, and then Jesus says something, look, I'm, I'm going to leave you soon. And Peter once again pipes up. He's not having a good night and it's not going to get any better. Here we go. Ready? Read with me. John chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to Jesus, and Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will be followed afterwards. Okay, now notice how Peter responds. I want to give you a hint. Peter wants to be the hero of this story. Okay, so notice how Peter responds. There's verse 37. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Read, read that again, that last sentence again, and put some, put some je ne sais quoi into it. Come on, you know, give it really something, right? I will lay down my life. You got to imagine yourself as the hero, right? I don't know if you want to do the hero pose or, you know, or flex or something like that. I will lay down my life for you, right? And Peter's a total hot mess, 
I mean, good Lord. I mean, in a couple of hours, they're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter's going to whip out his sword and cut off somebody's ear. And Jesus is like, dude, come on, man. Be healed, right? And fixes the guy. I mean, it's, it's inc- like Peter is just, whoo. What story is Peter trying to tell? Peter's trying to tell this story. I am going to do everything in my power so that Jesus doesn't sacrifice himself. And the way that I'll do that is that I will sacrifice myself so that Jesus doesn't have to. In other words, Peter's like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to be the hero behind the hero. I'm going to be the real hero. People are going to talk about you, Jesus, and they're going to say, oh, but that Peter... If it wasn't for Peter, you know, and Peter is so invested in this narrative of having the right answers, of getting it all right, of being the hero that no matter what he does, he's wrong. Even though he does good things. I mean, this is a noble gesture, but it's all wrong because something's off with his heart. Verse 38, I love Jesus's answer. Jesus answered, will, will you lay down your life for me? Just pregnant pause. Hmm. Peter's like, oh yeah, for sure. Jesus is like, actually, um, truly, truly, like seriously, seriously, dude. I say to you, the roosters will not crow till you have had denied me three times. Your denial of me is as sure as the sun is rising. Ah! This is Peter's Cain moment. This is Peter's moment when he goes, wait a minute, I'm doing everything that I was supposed to do and you're telling me that the issue is me? Can I just tell you that you're going to have Cain moments in your life? You're going to have this Peter moment in your life. You're going to have this moment again and again and again where you will look at your life and Jesus is going to say to you, I so appreciate all of your valiant efforts. But the issue here, sweetheart, is you. I've been here. I get this. This is me. Is this you? And look, in this moment in your life, when if, if someone or, or a group of people have been so courageous to confront you, right, you got a choice as to what you want to do. Now, usually the messengers are going to be flawed. I love that when people confront me, but I know they have bigger problems than I do. Oh, that's my favorite, right? I smile with my eyes. I say, Oh, totally. I get what you're saying. And secretly on the inside, I'm going, oh, thank God they're insane. (laughs) (laughs) Not my problem. Nope. Right? But you got a choice. You got a choice. When someone confronts you, when God himself confronts you, what are you going to do? Right? What are you going to do? You're going to be like Judas who runs off. You're going to be like Peter who stays put but tries harder and still doesn't get it. You're going to be like Cain and just destroy the thing that you can't become. What are you going to do? So Jesus says this, and Peter, I mean, he's just been, I'm sure his jaws hit the floor. I'm sure he's broke out in a sweat. He's having a mild panic attack. I would. 
right? If the savior of the universe, you thought you were going to be CFO or COO, and the CEO says, actually, you're fired. <laughs> Ooh, stock options I thought I was going to get never manifested, right? But then P Jesus says this. Jesus says this. And I'm imagining that Jesus is looking right at Peter and like got his hand on his forearm. I don't know if that's true, but this is what I'm imagining. Right after Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times, he says this. Read this with me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now just, wait, just slow down. Can you imagine Jesus saying to that, you do that to you? Yeah, the issue is you. But look, don't, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Jesus keeps on going. Still, still trust, trust God. Still trust me. Don't leave. Don't run. Don't shrink back. Don't try and destroy things. Don't, when I confront you, don't leave. Stay still. Stay here. Still trust me. I'm telling you these things because I love you. Don't leave. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Look, I'm going to leave, but at, like, I'm, I'm not just abandoning you. I'm literally going to make sure there's a mint on your pillow. I got an all-exclusive, all-paid, tip-included vacation special that will last for all of eternity just for you. And I want to give it to you. And we're, I'm going I'm to take you there myself. Like, I'm not just saying, oh, I hope you figure out the directions and show up on time to the port. No. I'm saying, I'm going to take you with me. That's comforting. That's com when God confronts you on your stuff, on your junk on your crusty bits that are still stuck to you, God is saying, look, I, I'm not leaving you. I'm not done with you. If Peter's listening to this message, which he's not, um, he, he, would, he would hear Jesus say this really clearly. I'm the hero of your story. I'm the hero of your story, Peter. And then Jesus drops this bomb, which we usually read right over, but maybe we can go through it a little bit slower today. He says this, verse 4, read with me. And you know, that word way is a Greek word. Next slide, John. And it means this, hadas. Read, say that with me. Hadas. Congratulations. You know the Greek word for way. It means the way, the road, or a journey. And so the word exodus, ex out, like exoskeleton, hadas, the road. Therefore, exodus means the way out or the road out. That's what the story of exodus is about, right? All the Jews on the journey out of slavery, right? So Jesus is saying, I'm the road, I'm the way. And of course, the disciples are wondering if Jesus is just going to text them the address because they think that maybe Jesus is heading to his back cave and imagine that he hasn't talked about yet. And so Thomas speaks for the whole group. He says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, um, we don't know where you're going. Can, can you text us the address? How, how can we know the way? Right? And so Jesus clarifies, I'm not actually talking about a physical location here. 
um, Jesus is talking about how life works, how the the story of our life works, uh, about who the real hero of our story is. And so Jesus says these verses, which you are very familiar with. Read this with me. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So can I, I want to break this down in two different ways. First of all, I want to talk about the way and the truth, and then I want to talk about how the way, the truth, and the life are all connected together. Will you stay with me? Here we go, okay? So Jesus is the way, the hadas, the road, the path, right? And, and, and so what road is Jesus on when he's saying this? Well, where is he going? Specifically, like geographically, he's going to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. Okay? Now, that's where Jesus is going when he says, I'm the way. Like, my way is through the cross. But then where is Jesus taking us along the way? He's taking us. No one comes to. So he's not taking us to a place. He's taking us to a person. Okay? So the way, the hadas, the road, the journey, the way that we are connected to our Heavenly Father is only through Jesus. The way that we are connected to heaven is only through Jesus. The way that we are reconciled to one another and healed is only through Jesus. The way that we experience abundant life on earth is only through Jesus. So Jesus on the cross will pay our debt. He will forgive our sins. He will adopt us into the family. He will open the door to heaven, which was shut by our rebellion. He's the way. Picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, now I'm going to talk about our cross in a moment, but bear with me. Next is the truth. Jesus is the truth. What, what does that mean? Well, it means this. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. Why? Because God the Father is a person, not an idea. God the Father is a person. God is a person, not an idea. So if God was an idea, then the world would be correct in asserting that all religions are basically the same because they're all holding on to different parts of God and claiming that their part is true. That, that assertion would be correct if God is an idea, but it's not correct because God is not an idea. God is in a person, and people are specific and exclusive. Does that make sense? Now, my wife is not here today, April 6th. She's got the sniffles. She's home. Um, but if I told you, if I started to describe to my wife, I would say, just my wife, she's 5'4 and one half, half an inch matters. Um, the, she's got brown curly hair. Uh, hair. She's gorgeous. I can't stop looking into her hazel eyes. She's an introvert and she's magic in all these different ways. And you say, oh, well, that sounds very judgmental. <laughs> I, th I think your wife is six foot three and has red hair. And a deep voice. You would say, well, it doesn't really work that way. Like people are people because people are specific and exclusive. It's not judgmental. It's just the way it is. Does that make sense? God 
is specific and exclusive because he's a person. That's the truth. And if you want to know the character of God and what he's like, you look to Jesus. Now, let me tie the way and the truth together. So the Jesus way is the cross. And that way is absolutely true. Like Peter and Cain and Judas, like everybody on earth, we all want to become heroes of our own story. But specifically, we want to become heroes of our own story with as little sacrifice as possible. And here's the thing about the Jesus way. That's not how the hero story works. There's something very true about our lives. And what's true about our lives is the moment that you try and become the only hero of your story, that's when you will be wrecked. And there's something about your life that you need to understand is that, is that if, if you're trying to do everything for Jesus and be perfect for Jesus and have all the right answers, but Jesus isn't the primary hero of your story, it's not going to go well for you. You and I need to learn that, yes, we have a role to play. We have a role to play. We have sacrifices to give. But the foundation has to be that Jesus is our hero. And here's the reason why. is because we are going to confront evil in this world. And we are going to need to sacrifice in order to meet that evil with the good that God gives us. And you will not be enough to defeat that evil on your own. You're going to need God with you. And you're going to need to learn how to die to your own foolishness before God can raise you up and turn you into the hero that he's always wanted you to be. That's the Jesus way. Following Jesus means looking and taking your own cross too. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Now, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Are you going to be like Judas and say, oh, that, I disagree. It doesn't work that way. Are you going to be like Peter and say, no, no, I'll, I'll keep on trying on my own harder. Are you going to be like Judas bah! or Cain? You know what? I can't do this. I'm done. I'm out. What are you going to do to that hard news? And that's the hard news of the gospel. We're more broken than we want to admit. Can we let that old man, that old woman die? Can we have those grave cloths which still stink be unwrapped and done with in our life? So what happens when the greatest hero dies for, to save his family and friends? What happens? Well, everybody wins. That's what happens. The movie ends and everybody's happy and it's all great and everybody's you know, like, yay, and it's so good and it's so wonderful and everything all works out and all the loose ends are all tied up and it's fantastic. When the way of sacrifice is met with the truth, life happens. And what happens 
in our story, when our hero, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, what happens when he dies for us rebels? Well, I'll tell you. We become his family, adopted as sons and daughters. We're granted his perfection. Our sins are forgiven and we're washed clean from all that's been done to us. And we get a promise of heaven as our future. And the Holy Spirit is a down payment right now. Everybody snap their fingers. Yeah, baby. That's right. In short, we get Jesus' life. Thus, Jesus is life. Jesus is the way, which is the truth, which gives us life. That's what Jesus does. Amen? And that's no small thing. That's no small thing. That's not just nice talk. Because let me ask you something. If the hero of all heroes grants to you his power, his life, his love, his inheritance... And his ability, what does that make you? A hero. And isn't that what you've always wanted to be? Oh, do you see how it works? So this is why Jesus says right after this in verse, four, or verse 12, he says this. He says, pay attention. He says, truly, he said, for reals, I'm not lying. You picking up what I'm putting down? Truly, truly. This is one to get a tattoo of. Here we go. I say to you, whoever trusts in me, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. Oh, Shazam. I trust the hero. The hero gives me his life, and then I do hero things. Hmm. And greater works than these he will do. Y'all have done greater works than Jesus. I'm telling you. In this congregation alone, more prayers for more healing has been answered in the 20 years of our church history than all the miracles that Jesus did. Say what? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus didn't change. He never went to two chicha. You did. Right? He'd never been to Grover Beach when he was walking this earth. You are. You're having a bigger impact. Isn't that incredible? Because he's going to go to the Father, which means that we get the Holy Spirit. And then verse 13, read with me. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh man, this is so incredible. Jesus is inviting you to become a hero with him. Now, I know most of us are okay with the size of our story right now. Let's face it, hero work is exhausting. So we're just fine being in the Central Coast, right? We love Grover Beach, Royal Grande, Pismo, five cities. That's great. We don't need to save the world. We're not interested in the saving the world. We did that in LA and San Francisco and in the Valley. And now we finally made it home, right? We don't want a cape. Actually, there's a couple of you that want a cape. That's fine, right? Just They get sucked into engines and stuff, so just be aware, right? Um, so, so, so what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 12? Truly, truly. So what's the first thing we do? Trust Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Have faith in him. Verse 14. What is, he, what is it? If you ask me anything, talk to him. 
Talk to him. Let Jesus be your focus. Let Jesus be the one you consult before acting, the one you run to in times of need. Y'all, I'm describing what a hero does. Pay attention to the job description. Let Jesus be your focus. Let Jesus be the one you consult before acting, the one you run to in times of need. Let Jesus be the one that you take with you to every encounter and relationship and every place that you go. Let Jesus be the person that you listen to at each turn of your day. When Jesus is your hero, you end up doing hero things, and you don't have to try. It just happens. Why? Because when Jesus forgives you, then you go, oh, okay, yeah, I can forgive others. When, when Jesus is your hero, then you don't need to worry about like managing your reputation. You can just be fully honest with your mistakes. And when you start forgiving others and you start honest and being vulnerable about your life, people go, ah, she's a hero. When you start talking about how great Jesus is rather than how great you are, people go, oh my gosh, he's a hero. When Jesus loves you and sacrifices for you and you trust that, then all of a sudden you'll find yourself loving and sacrificing for other people and they'll say, oh my goodness, they're a hero. When you make Jesus your hero, you'll be loved. You'll have victory. You'll be honored. You'll be respected. You'll have humility. In short, you will have life abundant. Can we do that right now? Can we let Jesus be our hero right now? Maybe this is the first time you've ever done this, but you could pray with me. Lord Jesus, I've been trying to be the hero of my own story for so long, and it's exhausting, and I, I relent. I give up. I'm done. Jesus, you're the hero of my story. You're my life. You're my truth. You're my hope. Come be my savior. Be my hero. We invite you in, Jesus. There's places in our lives right now, Jesus, where we just desperately need your strength and power because we're confronting evil and we're dealing in conflict, and we're working hard to make something beautiful in our lives, Jesus, and we can't do it alone. So would you give us wisdom and whimsy about what your way looks like in the middle of this? Would you speak to us your truth and take the cotton balls of confusion out of our ears? Would you give us the life that we need? And we surrender to you and lay at your feet the life that we want. And we trust that the sacrifices you're calling us to make will work out. So Lord, bless and seal all these good things in the hearts of my friends here today. Honor them, protect them, bless them. Thank you for the way that you are creating your new life in them already. And all God's people said,